0: Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun Hello and welcome to Wrestling Should Be Fun It's the podcast that last week brought you Lee McAteer, custodian of Progress Wrestling and we're very excited that that was released yesterday We've had some nice feedback from everyone, and we will definitely be getting more guests on throughout the weeks and months here at Wrestling Should Be Fun. But for now, it's just a two-man booth. It's a classic 90s booth. None of this three-man booth stuff that that we have these days. It's a straight-up two-man booth of myself, roster boss Casey, and Matt Connolly. You must be racking up those uh, points on the uh, stats table up against uh, everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I'm creating a nice healthy gap in second. Obviously, you are number one, so I'm making no ground up on yourself. If anything, you're extending it week on week. But yeah, a nice little, a nice little healthy gap in second. Call me Liverpool. <laughs> Let's hope that you're um, in better form than that Darwin Nunes, eh? Still pre-season, isn't it? He's, he's a bit mad how he's been slated so far, but uh, I'm sure we're not here to talk about £85 million strikers. But yeah. <laughs> But what we do have for the first time in a while is a call-up sheet. So shall we go for the call-up sheet? Let's do it. First up, we've got Michael Edwards, who goes by Gambit121. He's the eldest son of a construction worker and and housewife, short story and flash fiction writer. Oh fiction writer and his name is Gambit. Can we just give him a Gambit gimmick? For next <laughs> one? Gambit, I believe, is French, so it's not really going to suit Michael Edwards. That, that name might have to change a bit. Well, maybe he just joins the um, Max Dupree team and he's like Michel Edward. Es- <laughs> Michel Edward. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it. We'll put him in with uh, the hottest gimmick around. <laughs> I was thinking um, that we could potentially have him as the construction worker, as the son of uh, the Taskmaster. No, 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 no not the, the, the Taskmaster, the Shopmaster. Yeah, Before okay, the, yeah. The uh, construction worker gimmick after the uh, first gimmick. Spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> there's, also, um, there's also a potential feud with Jeff Jarrett, if he's a housewife, because... There was a good housekeeping match, right? Jarrett and China. Maybe uh, we can relive that as well. This guy's dripping in gimmicks. Dripping in gimmicks. And also ding, ding, ding on Jeff Jarrett after last week. So much Jarrett yeah. at the moment. <laughs> got a, it, we are contractually obliged to squeeze him in, I think. So <laughs> Apparently, Chyna <is> biggest fan. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> Next up, we've got James Theory, who goes by Young James. My name is Earl Enthusiast. I mean, is it too route one to just say he's Austin Theory's or just Theory's protege? Yeah, yeah, I like it. I mean, it it is very route one, but I feel like Theory, at this point with the money in the bank, he needs a little sidekick. He's got his guy, but he is being sidetracked by his love for My Name Is Earl and constantly wanting to narrate what is happening. But we can't call him Theory because obviously that's now... Taken as he's lost his name, Austin. So maybe we, yes. we, I said maybe we just call him just James. Just James, perfect. <laughs> perfect. He also is uh, coming from dem places you can't pronounce. Okay. Well, we won't try either then. <laughs> Next up, Burkai, spelled B-E-R-C-A-I, and he just says people are strange. What's to go with there then. <laughs> Berk. Burkeye. Maybe uh, kind of, um, Mordecai? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. More Burkai. More yeah, Burkai. I mean, he's not given as much. And I think Mordecai thought people were strange as well. So... Isn't people are strange? like uh, it's a Doors lyric, right? Maybe it is, yeah. Is it, yeah. Is it Doors? People are strange. Oh, 90s Mike screaming us about lack of knowledge of the doors, if he is the doors. He's coming through the forbidden door. It's more. Hey, there I. we go. <laughs> We've clawed something for old Lurk <laughs> Penultimately, let's go with Nick Hancock, who I'm really hoping is of um, Football Nightmares fame. Yeah. Um, he's a pro wrestling fan since 1990, retro gamer. He watched SummerSlam 92 live through a pair of binoculars from the very back of Wembley. Wow. Awesome. I mean, just being there, you know, that's got to be on a lot of people's time travel bucket lists. If you're a wrestling fan, if he's called Nick Hancock, his finisher, he has to, uh, in the way that some wrestlers call out their finisher before they hit it, he's got to shout. They think it's a logo I was finisher. just thinking the same. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's an open go again. I'm not saying anything you weren't thinking at home listener, but yeah, Nick Hancock, what a blast from the past. And maybe the finisher's just called the wrestling nightmare. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> And he's just putting together compilations constantly. What was the second one? Was it Football Hell? Yeah, Nick Hancock's Football Hell. well remembered. I don't think i have got that. Maybe it could be, like, the signature is something hell and the finisher is something nightmare. Yes. And isn't he a a Stoke fan, Nick Hancock, I think? He is. He is a potter. So I'm sure we can tie that in somewhere. Maybe that can be his, like, (laughs) 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 mid-90s... He is a potter. (laughs) <laughs> he can come out to uh, Sweet Chariot. <laughs> and the Stokes still love that, don't they? So They also like um, Tom Jones's song, Delilah. Oh, Delilah. Yeah. yeah, Delilah. That's even better. They sing that even more, yeah. That's a big uh, stadium song. Yeah, I was at the QPR Stoke game last season and as soon as they won one, up, that was sung a lot. <laughs> as I'm sure you've heard it before at Bristol City Games, right? <laughs> but yeah, big up Nick Hancock on... Um, being part of SummerSlam 92 Live, and he's also managed to show a, from the back row all the way to the front row, his pin tweet is a picture of Mr. Perfect doing a perfect plex at Insurrection 2002 from the front row. Wow. Cool. That is some journey from the back to the front of uh, wrestling fandom. And was perfect was on both cards, right? Oh, on, I think he was 92? like, I think he was involved in the Rick Flair. Yeah, he's with Rick. That's why I'm thinking he was like, there. Yeah, he, yeah, he's in I, the I, shenanigans, isn't he? The shenanigans of Warrior Savage, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So he was there, so he he saw him twice, 10 years apart, you know? Yeah, yeah. We also had a quote tweet one, so let me just quickly say that. So this is actually from another uh, media output. This is Corner to Corner Radio Show, which is with Rob Hefner, Brian Stangrub, on every Monday and Tuesday night at c2cradioshow.com from Virginia. I mean... I don't want to be too boring, but I'm going to make this guy, a bit controversial me, a good ref. <laughs> uh Hefner, obviously you associate that maybe with Playboy, but I at first thought you said Hebner, and it filled <laughs> me with awful, awful thoughts. But Hefner, maybe he's the good side of the refs with a slight name change. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a mansion of some kind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. The referee mansion. There's cool. got to be a better one than a referee. Yeah. Course, but... And he's from... Virginia, so he can come out to Virginia playing by Roxy Music. 100%. No arguments. <laughs> so thanks, for everyone, for uh, asking for your new gimmick. I hope that you're happy with them. Um, I'm pretty happy with the, with the way that that went. Good call-up sheet, that, I think, after a, a few weeks away. Uh, let's move on to what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you. A la, la la long, a la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. So, Matt, you've come on to the show this week having only watched New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um How has the G1 treated you so far? As we record, we're two days in, or two shows in. I think the third show is tomorrow morning, uh, which will be Wednesday to us. I think it's been a, a pretty solid first couple of days. I mean, the crowd's the big miss still, and I know they're getting their crowd noises back in September. And they do, during some of the face hill matches especially, generate quite a decent atmosphere with the clapping you know and, and make the best of what they can people like jay white are trying to work with the crowd and trying to do that nothing you know that is out of your way excellent or touching the highest points in new japan but nothing that's stunk the place out either i mean not that the g1 usually does there's been some really good matches on both days my personal favorite being the main event of day one predictably very good between jeff codd and kazuchika kada Ah, oh, jeff codd jeff codd I saw yes. a backstage segment where he was, like, wiggling his ass around like he was Bobby Lashley in 2019. Right. Okay. <laughs> He's having fun, man. He's having fun. Yeah. So, basically, is it more the same with these cards, or is it now that it's more matches, that there's less of, of the tag stuff and it's a lot more tournament matches? So, both cards were half tag, half singles. Four singles matches on both nights. Like, not even the whole group. Three of the... Right, let's... Take a step back. The groups are mad this year, right? Four groups of seven. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. I mean, what is this joke that Ghetto's coming up with here? Four groups of seven. I mean, it will make the knockouts more exciting. In a way, is it just making it more exciting because it's harder to figure out the booking patterns and all that sort of stuff? Or also, I'd say it makes it more exciting because a defeat means even more now. Like you've only got yeah. your six matches or whatever, to I think it's 12 points available, right? So a defeat really eats into your total, especially if it's against another one of the front runners, because Head-to-head record is probably going to match. So yeah, the big matches feel a lot, maybe in that respect more more important. I mean, I just I just prefer the two big blocks. I didn't really see what the issue was with the two big blocks, yeah. but um this might create some really good stories. Obviously, uh group A to me is a really good idea of having a card in a group full of monsters. Obviously, he's up against. Eventually, he will have. After Cobb, he's still got to face Farley, Lance Archer, Tom Lawler, and there's another big. Oh, and Jonah is in that group as well. I mean, what, Okada's great. really going to be put through the ringer in this tournament. Um, I must admit that even with the Pickhams, I haven't really took much notice of who's in groups and stuff. So, but off, yeah. but all those wrestlers that you've just rallied off there are very much up my streets. So, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the the Okada run sounds like it's going to be great. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of meat slapping matches. We haven't had any yet because we had a card. Well, I mean, a card is big, but compared to those guys, he's a cruiserweight. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's interesting to see how Tom Law will do with them. And Yarno picked up a victory over Jonah because, of course, he did. He's Yarno. Yarno rounds out Group A and will probably pick up two or three victories against these massive lads by sellotaping them to (laughs) the arena somewhere and and getting his points in. So, I mean, Yarno's a great addition to a monster group like that because he's up against it too. Yeah. Um, the other groups all have quality and then there's some great stories being told. They've split up LIJ, Sonada, Naito and Shingo all in separate groups, B, C and D, which is a really good story that could be told in the later stages. I don't know. We'll talk a little bit about Pickham's as well, if you want, Ross. Um, our predictions. I've gone for Naito to take it. And okay. I think he might run an LIJ gauntlet and face Shingo in the semi and Sonada in the final. But I haven't put Sonada in my pick I went with JY as his champion. But, oh, I like that, uh, though. Yeah, I mean, but Naito has been teasing that this is his final year. I and mean, he we haven't had those big... We've had them before in group matches, but I think Shingo and Sinatra in matches of such uh, huge yeah. stakes is something we haven't had, maybe. So I think that that would be a really great story to tell with Naito. If he is... I, I don't. It's wrestling, pinch of salt. Yeah. Right. If he is going to go off into the sunset in a year or so's time, then uh, that would be a great way for him to end in this G1. And his last match this year in the groups is Zack Sabre Jr., who, of course, kayfabe brother-brother... Injured him last year in the opening match and took him out of the tournament. So Ooh. redemption in the final group match against Zach looks like it's pretty much going to be foreshadowed there, uh, which is another excellent bit of story to him. New Japan is there's green shoots for me. Maybe I'm glass half fully, but there's some really nice stories being told in each group. You've got Osprey and Shingo headed for a showdown in that group, and you've also got the Juice Osprey story going on for the US title. So group D has some interest too. I, I think it's quite an exciting tournament. I don't know how the match is going to play out, but at the moment I'm quite excited for it. Do you think that that you're going to by and large watch most of the matches? So I always try to. 2017, 18, 19, I think I got through the lot. But 20 and 21 were a struggle for me with the pandemic era. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to try. But once they become thick and fast, and it's I think at some point it, it becomes six to eight matches a day to try and get yeah. through these matches. I think that's when I'll start tapping out and picking matches. And that's no disrespect to the Yoshihashis and stuff of this world. And yeah. um, their matches become irrelevant later on in the tournament. Yeah, they do, yeah. And <laughs> uh, last but not least on New Japan, the exciting news, it's less to do with New Japan, but I think it may play a part, is that Ross Sapp seems to have announced that it's very likely that Kenny Omega's back very, very soon. And we've obviously seen over in the UK at Rev Pro, Will Ospreay seemingly starting shit with Kenny Omega by doing the One-Winged Angel on Curtis Chapman and then purposely kicking himself out of that move. (laughs) And he tried to get a bit of traction with Omega socially a few weeks ago when it went down, but it was seemingly just ignored. But then somebody tweeted Kenny Omega it, like, this week, and he's kind of come back to him, basically saying, I don't really get what that's about, but it seems pretty childish. And then Will Ospreay came back with a retort of, pretty simple, mate, if you're in a cunt to me, I'm going to be a, bit, a bigger cunt back. So we don't exactly know the reasoning for why omega has been a cunt towards osprey but i'm sure that will come to fruition during the promo package and seemingly this new japan show is happening in october around about the same time as the uk show for the wwe and if they manage to get osprey omega on that show that's a sellout for me surely i mean that is massive i almost couldn't wouldn't be able to believe they they'd blow an omega match of that standard in england but if they did i mean wow yeah I don't really have loads to add on that. Obviously, the UK show sure will be exciting for me, like whether I go or not. Like, uh, I'm going to really try and get back into New Japan. We've, we, we've had to acknowledge some of the shortcomings of the booking, but I do still think the talent is absolutely there, and I think they're working things out. Um, who did you go for in the Pickhams, Ross, to win the whole thing, the G1? Oh, I just went with Osprey, I think, because everyone was chatting about Osprey because he was on AEW. It was just on my mind. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Kevin Kelly, is, on commentary, has hinted that he's the favourite. I'm wow, really? okay. not sure where they're getting that from in terms of New Japan storytelling. Uh, he's, you know, the US champion, but so obviously commentary are being directed or Kevin Kelly's second for himself to, to put the seeds out there that is the guy. So might yeah. be in. Might be in, yeah. And uh, yeah, who knows um, on that side of things, but I am terrible at pick so probably not. <laughs> but um, yeah. the last little thing to mention about there that then as well is that uh, Zach Sabre seems to have shot his load and said that he's going to take his shot, that he won the previous tournament by cashing in at that uk show so currently i guess it's a jay white zach sabre match do you reckon that that all um wet your whistle uh do you know what it's a funny one with that because it was like the tanahashi match right that we got at um royal quest was it royal quest, yeah, royal quest yeah. obviously the, the crowd are split because zach's the boy right he's the english representative there but tanahashi is just a pure baby face so at least putting him against the Jay White would make him the face and the crowd could just get behind it. Would it I just though, because, because the UK yeah. crowd is so bullet club, aren't they? Well, this is it as well, I suppose. But maybe Bullet Club aren't as cool as they were. And hopefully Zach. To be honest, I, I don't really like cheering for Zach. Don't find his style one to cheer for. I don't want to cheer for an intricate armlock. Yeah. Um, I'd rather cheer for the high fly moves or the big moves. So I mean, I love Zach Saber Jr. by the way, that's not a diss on him. Just personal preference. <laughs> I just don't want to cheer the guy. Yeah. I just feel like his style isn't isn't one to cheer. But um, but I would still be excited for him wrestling any of the top guys in any soccer match, to be honest, whether it's Jay White or whether it's something else. And yeah, I mean, realistically, if he is going for Tal, it will probably be Jay White. So yeah, I think I think it's a match I would be interested in. How interested I don't know, but definitely interested. Awesome. Well, thanks for your round-up on uh New Japan. It's certainly um fresh for me, having not seen any of the G1. So uh, cheers for the heads up on that. In terms of what I've seen. I've got two things that I'd quite like to talk about and they're not really the big stories, both involving women. Let's start over on SmackDown. Lacey Evans, interesting character. Obviously, they slow built her up with these promos about her hardship in her youth and the way that she's turned her life around and she's an American hero. She served the country. And it was seeming as if they were trying to get a cheered and it wasn't failing because he definitely was getting cheers by and large, but it wasn't taking off in a similar route to the Lex Express stuff, I guess, in the past, even more so than that, I guess, judging by the way that they flipped it pretty soon after um, this has happened, very similar to the Kurt Angle kind of late 99 version where he was certain that he was going to get cheered and Vince knew otherwise and that's something that they always talk about in the documentaries that they put out about how Vince knows his audience do you think this was the long-term plan or do you think it was a short-term knee-jerk reaction to a placid reaction in the first place I actually I'm going to put faith in WWE here and I'm going to say that this was the plan all along I'd I'd like to think that so yeah I'll I'll maybe give you a 60% that they planned it and then 40%, 40%, we just see these kind of sharp character jerks with anyone who isn't in a fixed storyline, even debuting characters, right? Sometimes they just feign debuting a character and we don't know when they're going to debut. There doesn't seem to be a plan for that. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know. I think she's, to be honest, worked quite well as a hero in the past, but I had heard good things about these promos. I hadn't managed to see a lot of them, but I heard that people were getting quite invested and thought that was quite a good idea from what I'd read. So yeah. for them to veer the other way, judging off a few reactions is interesting. I do think she'll work overall better as a heel. That's my gut feeling. But I would have thought e would have seen her as a babyface all day long. So, mm. yeah, I don't really know Ross is my So it feels like one of them. Like, yeah. I just think it's an interesting thing that's going on. Yeah. I love kind of like character changes and things and story-based stuff in wrestling. And I just think it's quite interesting that they've really rammed home the kind of like superhero rags-to-riches tale of her. Yeah. And honestly, it's jarring because we've already seen her as the Southern Belle. So maybe that plays a part. Mm -hmm. unlike Kurt Angle who came in fresh so I don't think that they can get too much credit for it but um, the one thing that I do find really interesting is obviously that they're so into veterans and the armed services over there with the like tribute to the troop show and all that sort of stuff that they do Mm -hmm. and Wrestlemania they always have like army flight paths and things don't they like the fact that they're trying to purposely get a veteran Booed. That's the thing that I find really interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It goes against everything that they are. Yeah, that's why I thought when they went with this, like, that's why I'm, I'm not sure whether they meant it because when they went with this, I thought, well, that's obviously going the way that they would have always perceived this to go. Yeah. Uh, with most of their top baby faces ever, right? They've started as hills. We're well, not all, obviously not all. With a few of them, you can definitely see those paths of creating a character as a hill, becoming comfortable, crowd loving it, flipping it, look at New Day, look at. The yeah. rock, look at et cetera, et cetera, right? So I thought maybe they were going for that route. John Cena's another one, obviously. So I didn't know if it was that, but yeah, to just be back to heels. It could be something as simple as they looked at the roster and realized they were light on heels or something. I mean, that's yeah, that's how that. it could work. It, obviously with what's happening, maybe there is a bit of flux backstage at the moment as well. Yeah. With I, ideas. That's actually another good point because obviously she's a babyface and well, she was originally a babyface when they redebuted her. Yeah, obviously, they lost Naomi and Sasha, two massive baby faces on that roster. So maybe they were just like, yep, someone's got to change. Yeah, the answer is I don't know, Ross. But (laughs) like you say, I always want to think that there's a plan in my wrestling. I want want to think. And I think Dory, sometimes luck out, sometimes they don't get the credit. So on on this occasion, maybe we're uh, we're just in a wait and see. If this ends up being a hit as a hill, then it was the right decision, I suppose. Definitely. Also in the women's division, NXT was an interesting end last night, last week, sorry, with Roxanne and Cora Jade, the tag team champions of just like one two weeks. Roxanne, straight after winning the tag titles, managed to get herself a title shot by winning the breakout tournament, and she was on her way to winning that match. But Cora Jade, well, she was attacked backstage, and it was who, it was that who done it sort of thing, um, and it turned out it was Cora Jade through jealousy i really like the storyline i think it's quite fresh that it's happened so soon and i don't really understand people that got so upset by the fact that how could they possibly fall out when they've only just made friends like that makes me think well you've got even like less emotional ties to this person right it's easier to turn on someone that you don't know than you do know right there's less and it kind of there and there's also that classic thing of wrestling fans moaning about oh, they keep going on about how oh, they're such good friends, but all the photos are from the performance centre. They've not even been friends that long. Well, this is why. This makes perfect sense now. They <laughs> yeah. weren't friends. It was it was annoying Cora Jade trying to create a friendship or trying to ruse to get herself closer to the title. So it makes more sense now than it did when you were moaning about that aspect of the storyline. Yeah. And, and, weeks she was, ago. and she was probably happy to have gold around her waist because, yeah. because gold is gold and it doesn't really matter who it's with. And she was just using Roxanne and she was like, well... She's on a bit of a roll. She'll be handy to have in the ring with me. But then when mm-hmm. the situation changed and Roxanne was going to move from beyond an even playing field with her in the rankings, I guess, to going in front of her by, yeah. by being the, the uh, champion, that's when she was like, okay, well, this can't happen. For me, that makes perfect sense. And I don't really understand why people were angry with it. Like it was a fun, <laughs> it was a fun episode that started with a it, uh, had the kind of the like red herring of, Cora Jade helping her out in the physio room and all that sort of stuff, and then she came out with her and was seemingly happy for her to be there and that sort of stuff. It's the sort of stuff that Nitro was so good at in a on a two hour show in the nineties. Like it was a short term story that played out over a two hour TV show and paid off. I really enjoyed it. No, I agree, and also like if you analyse Cora Jade as a character, she's coming in terms of the world of NXT. I don't know much about her background for. She's coming green. She's She's played along, she's got herself popular with this gimmick and uh, and she's started to rack up wins. She's got close to the title and she's come up short at least one time, maybe a couple. So then, like you say, she's gone on her own journey and gone, well, I'm going to do it a different way and she's been tactical about it. She's told her own personal story over the case of a couple of weeks and then within that episode, tells a, a complete story again. But like, this is what people want in the wrestling. I can understand, you know, the women's tag titles have been caught up in this a bit, but I'm all for it. I'm not sour on it. I can understand some of the criticisms, but I'm not sour on the seat, Boris. I'm with you. Yeah. Enjoy wrestling, lads. Come on, and go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just don't watch it if you don't enjoy it. Sack, sack <laughs> off, NXT 2.0. I think it's bloody great. I mean, they're all just keeping this title warm until Nikita Lyons takes over the world, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the that's the end game, guys. Don't worry about all this stuff. Who do you think Maxine Dupree is? Oh, well, is. if you believe the internet, it's going to be uh going to be old Ginny, right? Oh, really? That does seem to make sense. That's really good. I like that. Because of because I guess the link being, apart from the fact that the fashionista gimmick has been going for a while, she's still dating Gunter? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so both of them being on Smackdown travel-wise would probably make sense, I guess. That would make 2015 Ross very, very happy because Ginny's (laughs) been one of my favourites for a long time. So that's awesome. Yeah, Ginny's awesome. And she can carry herself on a promo, which a lot of the Brit rest people can't. So fair play. Yeah, Put her in sure, that role. Sure. I think she'd be excellent. Whether it's her or not, I don't know. I'm just going by the uh, the internet reaction seems to be headed towards that. But if not, I don't know. Is there any other names you've heard floating around, Ross? No, no, not, not at all. Um, I bloody I love do. this gimmick, though. I, I do bloody. Oh, it's a bit of me. So very good. So good. Obviously, Toxic Attraction have lost their tag titles. So there's the potential that they could bring one of them in. But I'd rather see them come as a trio at a later date I think because I think they're a really great trio um, great. but yeah it's not like WWE don't hire good looking women so like it's a pretty easy thing to fill from their roster right <laughs> 100% <laughs> so yeah let's move on to the round table now that we've figured out that NXT 2.0 is brilliant <laughs> Okay, so we're just going to quickly go through the uh Meltzer-rated matches from SummerSlam history that are either 4.5 stars or more. I think there's only 11 of these, oh. which over 35 years-ish? Ye- yeah. What year was it? 88, SummerSlam? First? 88, yeah. 30, 34 this year then, is that? 34 this year, Yeah. yeah. So we have... 4.5 stars. British Bulldog versus Bret Hart, 1992. Not the full five stars. <laughs> well, I don't think there's going to be any arguments about that one, is there? Considered an long-time classic. I'll be honest, I'm not as high on it as everyone else, while still rating it as an excellent match, if that makes sense. I'm not by no means poo-pooing or having any criticism. I think it's more a taste thing with Bret for me. But um, you must absolutely adore this one, Ross. Yeah, I'm all about the big time match. Matches just feel bigger and better when they're in stadiums like Wembley Stadium and the fact that you've got Lennox Lewis coming out with (laughs) Bulldog at the start. The match itself is brilliant and obviously when you hear Bret Hart's side of the story where he claims that Bulldog was completely mashed off his tits (laughs) during the match, (laughs) all the more interesting that they managed to pull off such a great match. But um, yeah, Yeah, it, it seemed like an interesting match as well in terms of Bret Hart, very much did a bit of a Randy Savage kind of match where he planned it all out in his head and was very much like, this is what's going down. And he tried to teach Bulldog basically all the moves that would be happening, similar to Steamboat Savage. So interesting one to start with, but in terms of legacy, obviously we're UK-based, so this means a lot more to us probably than others. But uh, yeah, a worthy one, I would say, to start off with. Absolutely no no issues with that. Um, and, of course, even though it's not part of the match, I think contractually when you mention this match, you have to mention the kid at the start, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The, the Bulldog's <laughs> going to win that title, whether he likes it or not. Um, it's the all-time classic. It has to be mentioned, even if it's not to do with the match specifically. Absolutely mental that he headlined a Wembley Stadium show in the main event, won the IC title, and literally was um, dropped the title and was released like two months later. That is mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's one of those things that I imagine I wonder at the time how that went down. Yeah, it feels a bit um Rob Van Dam winning the title, doesn't it? Yeah. I wondered if the internet was around then, God, it would have exploded, wouldn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, I'm sure Brett was fuming.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> For a change, yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up, another 4.5 star match from the 2000 card, TLC, which, of course, was uh, Hardys, Edge and Christian and the Dudleys. My TLC slash ladder matches between these lot, I don't know what spots are in what match because I'm an awful person, but I'm not going to argue that any of them were all-time classics. So the gif that I used on the thread was Matt Hardy um, about to get the belts and then he takes the bump for two tables backwards. Oh, yeah. Like, but like not on the ramp side, like on the no, on side. the side, isn't it? So it looks even more savage. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that bump. Oh, uh, yeah. You so sh- this is before the one where everyone runs in, right? Is that the next one? Yeah, so that's the saying. next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. You do know these matches. <laughs> I know, I know there's one I was thinking it's 2000, it's got me too early for the gang, for the rest of the gang. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not going to pretend I, I know this match inside out, but it has, to, I'm not going to argue with that, Ray. Brilliant. Uh, next up, a very different match to the one just before it. Two thousand and one, Steve Austin versus Kurt Angle. Four point five stars. Yeah. Without knowing what was on this list, I had a feeling this one would pop up. Does this end in a wonk finish or something? I didn't. What's the finish that. to this one? Does uh, Angle in it? I think Angle makes Austin tap out, doesn't he? Right. So it's that one. Okay. I'm getting. See again, not the best person for this segment in terms of getting confused between matches, but I, I remember I have seen this match and I remember thinking it was awesome. I've just seen another Austin-Angle match that I've obviously got confused with. (laughs) It's quite interesting because obviously Austin's in the ankle lock and just like in the submission that he was in with Bret Hart, but it's Angle that's got the crimson mask. So it doesn't quite have the iconicness that the WrestleMania 13 one has. It's quite interesting because like that's an image that has obviously lived long in the memory, the WrestleMania 13 one, whereas this image hasn't really, I would argue. And yet it's still the same way around in terms of a babyface being in the, well, in terms of what they eventually achieved with Austin becoming the babyface in the match. Um, yeah. And Angle being the babyface here, but like you said with the Crimson, but yeah. this time he's, he's on top, like you say, and Austin's still on the bottom. Yeah, man. Wrestling is the same but different. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> So next up on the 4.5 scale, we go all the way through to 2008, and it's Edge versus Undertaker in Hell in a Cell. Oh, yeah, this one's great as well. I mean, that's what this is going to be, right? They're not going to be... I mean, Dave's really harsh for these markings. These aren't going to be stinkers, are they? I mean, again, this one's a a classic within their own right. Is this the best Taker-Edge match, would you say? Or the Mania one, or...? I actually quite like the TLC one. Right, Okay. Just because it's just mental seeing him, like seeing Taker in a TLC match. (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And Taker takes that mad bump as well, the, the Bubba Ray bump. He does, yeah. But this is obviously known as well for the um, camera finish um, yeah. and the post-match where he kind of last rides him through the ring and then the fire comes out. Plush. Yeah, it's goofy, but it's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Next up, another 4.5-er. 2013, CM Punk his Brock Lesnar. This is up there for best SummerSlam matches for me, but this is the start of what Brock's murderous SummerSlam run. I think where he just had a hit. I think depending on taste, he had a hit every year for about six years. Yeah, this this match is awesome, and obviously looking back now, it's quite interesting. Like I watched this match fairly recently for some reason, oh, and wow. Punk drives the offense in this. It, it's a Punk beatdown of Lesnar for a lot of this match. It's really interesting to watch what. Obviously, a year later would happen with Lesnar, like becoming so dominant. This match, Punk is on offense for a lot of it. Uh, It's really interesting. In the thread, someone said that um, Brock Lesnar selling in this match is what he should have done for Dean Ambrose at Mania. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's a point where Punk has it won and the shenanigans to stop. Like he has Lesnar beat as well. I'd have to, again, rewatch it again. But yeah, this match is awesome. Really, really great match. And from the same card, John Cena versus Daniel Bryan, the main event, which I absolutely love this match. I actually think it's better than Punk Cena, but that's just my opinion. Oh, wow, that is big praise. (laughs) But I absolutely love this match. And I'm a big fan of when a heel, like, sucks the air out of a room. And that definitely happens at at the end of this match, in the post-match with Randy Orton. Very interesting you say that, Ross, because this is, I know WWE audiences, blah, blah, blah. This is technically a face-face match, right? Yes, yeah. So I, I know your feelings on so for you to rate this as so highly is uh, is quite interesting from my point. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um well I guess because of the crowd reactions that Cena gets, it almost isn't a face face, is it? <laughs> no, that's what I meant. There's definitely an asterisk over so calling it a face-face match. <laughs> the thing for me about this maybe similar for you is Brian winning the title with a new finish in the main event of SummerSlam. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's a badass finish as well. Oh, it's it's amazing. But the balls to like Beat John Cena with an unestablished move in the main event of one of the top four, if not top two, pay-per-views of the year. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, love it. Absolutely love this match. 2013 is apparently just an absolute banging card. Yeah, I wonder (laughs) what the rest of the card was like for that, because those two are are (laughs) hits. we got more 4.5 stars here, and it's another double. It's Seth Rollins versus John Cena where uh, Seth becomes double champ. Okay, so this is with the John Stewart in the field. This is John Stewart, which is crazy. Wow. Man. Meltzer loved giving that four and a half. That's itself, the crazy part. The match itself must have been amazing because obviously Twitter had an absolute meltdown. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it worked out quite well storytelling-wise, really, uh, with the next pay-per-view, with the double title match where he had to defend. So, I mean, that... they're telling a really good story with Seth at this point. So, yeah, I, I remember this match being very good. That image of Seth, and his white outfit with two belts is pretty iconic. I love that image. It, it's kind of forgotten, like how much he achieved. Not, not completely obviously. He's been such a brilliant hand for so long without maybe holding the gold he deserves. Like he pretty much completed it, didn't he? <laughs> like <laughs> he, double champion in that year. Like main eventing, not this pay per view, but main eventing the pay per views month after month. Obviously, the injury curtailed that, but yeah, what year he had. But that was, I mean, still probably hard to top that as his greatest year. Yeah, he virtually took Woking from non-league to the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, in five <laughs> seasons. I mean, stuff like that doesn't go unnoticed. to us. Next up, John Cena versus AJ Styles, 2016. I mean, that is a, a brilliant match and a brilliant trilogy of matches. I love all three of them. I know the first one's shenanigans. This one's the clean AJ win? I think it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember when he got the pin, I was very shocked, much like I was when Owens got the clean pin in their triple match feud as well. Yeah. Um, I'd pref- Not that it's a competition, of course. The Rumble one for me is is close to perfection. I, absolutely well, I think agree. the Rumble one is largely seen as the best one, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I don't think that's controversial, but I remember this one being equally great. And the reason I was so excited for the Rumble one was because of how good this was in the finish with the clean victory. Yeah, um, AJ did what he said, and he was having, obviously, a brilliant time of it in WWE after Turning Hill. So, yeah, I think, did he win the title about a month later, AJ, right? I think he did, yeah, yeah. It was when he beat uh, Moxley, or um, yeah. Ambrose at the time, sorry. Correct, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, this was obviously a, a really good time for AJ as well. And, yeah, good memories of this one, Ross? Oh, yeah, yeah. and um, The false finishes were amazing, especially the super AA off, off the second rope, like 2.99. <laughs> 9. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now we're moving into the 4.75 range. We're going back to 1995 and it's the Michael's Razor Ramon ladder match. Yeah. Again, a match part of a series of matches, right? Or at least two very famous ones, if not three. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I'd, I'd Again, the Mania one, probably more iconic. Um, yes. But this one's still equally, well, maybe not equally, but in the same ballpark at least in terms of quality from memory. I actually think that they do way more scary stuff in this one than the first one. I think they did very much what like TLC became, where it was like, okay, we've done that. Let's try and up it. And they pretty much did that here. And it's interesting to me that they stopped doing them after 95 because who knows what like these two would have been doing in 96, 97. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Glad they had a break. (laughs) Yeah. Some crazy spots in this. Absolutely love the fact that it's the same stipulation match a year later with the two same people. And it's such a different match. I really love that. Yeah, really good point, and I completely agree. And then we've only got two more from 2017, the latest one on the list, uh, 4.75 stars. It's Braun versus Joe versus Brock versus Reigns. Oh, yes, please. (laughs) I love this match. It's awesome. It's just big lads doing big lad things. Obviously, it's up my street. Love this map. So I think all the tables get smashed. It's chaos. Yeah, yeah, really, really big fans. They make Joe look monstrous at one point. I remember him clearing house. Yeah, and he's over as hell here as well. Yeah, big time. And like interestingly as well, like V. Reigns was probably still quite fresh in 2017, but by adding two more people to it, just gives it that like extra bit of sauce. Yeah, and how is from memory is Braun still quite over or is he fading? Yeah, well? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty over. Yeah, because I remember being as into brawn at this sort of time as any wrestler. Um, Yeah, this match is right on my street, man. I I love this match. I'm glad it's on there. And can you tell what the five-star match is? um, Is it? I don't know. Is Michael's Triple H at SummerSlam? Is that up there? It's not. 4.5, but it got 4.25, I think. That's incredible. Um, I'm sure I'm missing something really obvious, Ross, but um, I've already shown that I don't know much. So go on. What is it? Well, you have said that you don't really like him, so it's uh, Bret Hart beat Owen Hart in the cage. Oh, of course, and that is worthy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, even I wouldn't argue that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, again, this is where, right in the middle of your era Ross, us in terms of what you love in wrestling. Do you want to explain what you love about this? Um, Yeah, just it's the culmination of probably my favourite storyline. Now actually, it's, I reckon it's just under my love for the mega powers, but the way that they built this match from kind of 1993 Survivor Series through to 1994 SummerSlam. That's that's top draw, isn't it? To be to be drawing stuff out as long as that. I know that they didn't have as many pay-per-views and they wrestled less on TV and what have you, but I just love this storyline and the fact that it's in a cage and it's kind of like may the best man win. Then you also had the family ties coming through. You had Neidhart coming out as a heel and you had Bulldog coming back from WSW as a face. All the ingredients for... My happy place. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. In uh, Brett's book, he said that it's one of his most cherished moments is the way that he was able to protect Owen in that suplex spot off the cage. Especially, obviously, learn what happened to Owen later in his life. Like, it's one of the yeah. things of like, I'm his older brother and I'm, and I'm there to protect him. That's just like a real feel-good kind of moment in, in the match. So one of Brett Hart's favourite moments is something he did brilliantly. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, even even a smart like me can uh, can appreciate that that's a, a worthy five-star match. It's, a, um, it's not a match I'm as familiar with, but I have seen it and I remember loving it. Yeah, awesome. Is there a, I know that you mentioned 2002, HBK, yeah. is there anything else that comes off the top of your head of like, oh, that could have potentially been a 4.5-er or well, a kind of a, a fair assessment? Because let's face it, like people, let's not like, let's not get mad, 4.5 is an unbelievable score for a wrestling match to receive. Yeah. Yeah, not nine tenths of the match were a five star. <laughs> um, uh, to be honest, um, if someone had a list in front of me of all the key and main matches, maybe I could uh, have, a, have an op- a stronger opinion. But yeah, the, the Triple H Michaels one is one that immediately stands out to me. I remember that being a really excellent match when going back and watching. And as I mentioned, that Brock run. Now, how you star rate the murder of John Cena in 2014, was <laughs> it? I yeah. don't know how you give that a star rating. But it's one of the most iconic matches from the modern era, in my opinion, the way that the top guy, Cena, was just demolished by Brock. Um, I personally loved the Undertaker match. Again, I don't think it was the one that stood out of the two. I think the Hell in a Cell match is even better. But I really enjoyed Brock Taker. um, And, yeah, Brock had some really good matches around this time at SummerSlam, like I say. Uh, The Autumn one for me was good. I know a lot of people didn't really dig in. There's questions about the safety of the finish. Again, in terms of iconic Scenes, I just love that, so yeah, that those would be my suggestions. Anything that screams to you, Ross, off the top of my head, there's the classic Bulldogs Rujos. I think, is uh 88, right? And they go to like a time limit draw, and then 89, I think it's Heart Foundation Brain Busters is very good as well. Okay, obviously, with my oh, is, um, hat on, oh, isn't wait, what was the one? Did you just mention the um, is it Heart Foundation Demolition or is that a mania match? Yeah, that is 91, I think. Yeah, that's a really good match. That is a really good match. We did that for uh Nerdwatch, and I think like pretty much everyone that yes. watched was like, Yeah, this is sick. Yeah, that's a really awesome match as well. Another one that's just come to mind, and I don't know if it's just become famed because it was seen as the best opener, but that Kurt Ray match, I think, is SummerSlam, right? They did a SummerSlam opener, yeah, one that one's on awesome. That? 03. Yeah, I love that, that's match. That's a really awesome match as well. There was some love on the thread for the Elimination Chamber from 03. Okay, which one is this one? That's the one where Nash and Goldberg are in it. Oh, right. Okay. Um, there was also some love for Sasha Banks' Charlotte from like 16, I think. Oh, and uh, Mr. Perfect's Bret Hart was, was a big one as well. Oh, from 91. So, I mean, Bret Hart's got a pretty good SummerSlam CV as well then. He has, yeah. Um, and there was a bit of love as well for um, the Boiler Room Brawl of the 96. <laughs> okay. Mankind and Taker. Obviously, it's... Probably more iconic than Fantastic, I guess. Yeah, um, but still filmed in a kind of Blair Witch way, that wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, unique and iconic though, and that sometimes that deserves stars on itself. Yeah, but yeah, by and large, I actually really like SummerSlams. I always seem to really enjoy them. Oh, actually, wasn't there a like? I'm not saying it was a four point five star match, but I really enjoyed Trish's comeback. Was it her and Charlotte? Oh, was that a SummerSlam match? That was good. That was really good. Pretty short of SummerSlam, wasn't it? But that was maybe match of the night, if it was. I remember really enjoying that. Yeah. Nice. Well, there's our roundup of SummerSlam. We haven't done a preview for 24-7, but I think with Lee McAteer being on last week and Progress put out amazing preview packages now on Podcast Form and on YouTube, let's leave that to those guys this month. Um, go and watch um, that on their YouTube channel. And if you are going to 24-7, make sure that you come and say hello to us at the bar. And if you're not going to 24-7 and you want to, get yourself to our Twitter, to our pinned tweet, and you can win a ticket. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't bought my ticket yet, but I I feel like it's a bit unfair of me to enter in case I win. So uh, (laughs) if if it was anyone but me, I'd be entering because it's a fantastic prize and very generous of progress to offer that out to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Big up progress. And maybe the winner of the competition will be Mathieu Connolly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes my cousin in France who pronounces the name a little differently but um, it's, it's um, not me that's the main thing <laughs> shall we end on uh, collaborative Bingo Bingo Let, let's have a good old-fashioned try <laughs> okay B-I-N-G-O and Bingo was his name oh <laughs> Some of the names in there, good Lord. Yeah. Okay. There's at least 100 names on the list. If they come up, I'm going to be just going, who, to <laughs> you, Ross? And you're going to have to fill me in. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. It's an interesting one. You've got former New Japan champion Tetsuya Naito against quadruple time 24-7 champion r Oh, okay, (laughs) okay. well, I mean, the first thing is you pick out what's going on with these guys. I mean, Naito, very calm guy. R-Truth, bit chaotic. Yes. So already we have (laughs) somewhere where there could be a division. Yeah. Where do these two meet in the middle? Is one of them coming over to the other one or is there another promotion that houses this? I feel like the best way to do this is, you know... um, our truth had that period of time where he kept on getting things wrong, like he would pick a ladder at the Rumble and then he'd go up the ladder and there'd be obviously no briefcase there, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you think it'd be quite fun for him to turn up at 2023's Forbidden Door with a door, like just under the ring? <laughs> <what he> <laughs> right. <laughs> go on. So, Tetsuya Naito is facing, who shall he be facing from AEW in a decent match in 2023? Let's say he's facing Mox in a pretty high-profile, kind of penultimate main event match Yeah. Naito's on top he's gonna, like he's already hit the um, the Stardust and Moxley kicks out so he's like, you know what, I need to do my thing, I need to go un- under the ring and get a table out and there he is R-Truth. He's got a WWE vest on, got a WWE <laughs> cap on, WWE sweatband. <laughs> and he's attached to the table, similar to when Cesaro brought him out from under the ring on that table. That was hilarious. On, on I think it was a rule. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that causes a big kind of what's going on in a similar way to Danhausen does in AEW. Yeah. And then he just kind of gets dropped and he goes underneath the ring again. And Naito comes back into the ring, eats the paradigm shift and loses the match. And then we've got ourselves Naito's next in line for the person that cost him his biggest match of 2023 on the big stage. And then he's gonna have to call out R-Truth to come to Japan, I think. Okay. Which gives us the opportunity for R-Truth to friend Armaniano well I also think if we're going to do that and we can if it's a forbidden door type territory I'd love the idea of R-Truth coming out at a Noah show thinking he's got Naito (laughs) Um, so to really sell it you know coming out no music just trying to hype the crowd up and and then my bad in the Noah crowd before just leaving and let's not just end it there let's um, say that he's going to turn up in AAA Um... yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a tour of R-Truth getting it wrong (laughs) lots and lots of doors under the ring (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I guess that it's just going to have to be a forbidden door match right and yes GCW style rather than tables it's doors I think the way we've built this that is the natural conclusion in terms (laughs) of a blow off um, and obviously, a part of that match needs to be the wrestler that we had in the call-up sheet that has the doors theme tune. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Strange. It all comes full circle. Yeah. Um, I like the thought of once this feud's done, that they become um, a fun team, or at least our truth joins L O J for a bit. I really like that. So, like do trying to hype the crowd up with Naito just telling him to calm. I feel a bit like that would be a great kind of madcap team, similar to Kane and Brian or something. Yes, and I think it'll be great because most people will be assuming that he's going to join Chaos with Yano because <laughs> he's a Chaos master, like Master, but yeah. the swerve is that he ends up as like a odd job. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> should it should end with Yano and Akada versus Naito and our Truth. That's the match: <laughs> Chaos versus the New Lij. <laughs> I mean, how much fun is that? We booked twenty twenty three really well though. Our <laughs> <laughs> Truths getting significantly pushed. And he keeps on um, plugging the fact that he's going to bring his best friend. No, actually, doesn't he call him son or dad? His dad, John Cena. John Cena. Yeah, he looks, he used to watch him as a kid, obviously. Um... So we keep on getting a a tease for Cena in New Japan, which would be pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, the internet would bloody love this, by the way. I can't see any criticism of of Naito versus Moxley being ruined by our truth. That's not happening. (laughs) That's not happening. No, no. Rest should I've got hold of the book again fuck's sake <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, look, I can see your tweets going out great finish to a great match and then the hate pouring in 4.5 stars <laughs> <laughs> nice well I think that's a pretty fun um, book of bingo from us have you got anything to plug this week Matt I have not um, but I'll just echo you in saying that um, I want to go to progress this week I'm booked a ticket but I plan to if you're listening and you're umming and in, just come yeah, come progress. That, that's definitely getting one of those uh, phrasing things from a uh, Phil. Oh yeah, of course. You've got to take one a week, haven't you? So there's mine. <laughs> I'm coming, phrasing boom. And there's one more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come on, make a hole, phrasing. Sweet. Well, this has been wrestling should be fun. Tell Archer, I'm coming for him. Phrasing boom, and both berries out. You can find us on Twitter, WSBFUN, where, of course, we do have the competition running for progress tickets. Entrance finish on Thursday at 8pm. Well, hopefully hopefully the winner's listening. So well done to you, sir or madam, or they. Well done. And we have been promised a ticket to the Thursday of the GCW shows in TNT in Liverpool. So if you're a deathmatch wrestler or a (laughs) deathmatch wrestling fan, even, (laughs) or just a wrestler, (laughs) (laughs) you want to get that front that front row ticket and do a run-in based on our competition (laughs) make sure that you follow us uh for future competitions you can follow us on instagram at wrestling should be fun dom does a great job there i'm sure that if he's at the show he'll do an amazing job of capturing content from 24 7 so uh, make sure that you follow us over there thank you very much for listening i've been ross the boss casey Command has been Mathieu (laughs) Connelly. I like your spark. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Better get over there and make Torvald happy. Um, phrasing?